One of my favorite places on earth is Cathedral Pines Baptist Camp, uh, which is 14 miles north of Ketchum and Sun Valley, right at the foot of Boulder Mountain. And a big, huge mountain, and the Sawtooths, one of the beautiful places on earth. I, I consider Cathedral Pines to be my third home, behind Emmett, of course. And then there's Cascade, where my family had a cabin when I was growing up. And, of course, then there's Cathedral Pines Baptist Camp. And growing up, I went to church camp. Every summer I could, I'd pick cherries in June so I could pay my way to camp in July. And then I would pick prunes in September so I could buy school clothes in November. But that's a whole other story. But I've enjoyed the mountains and the great outdoors. There's something about being in God's creation, as you all know, because we're so blessed to live in this part of the world that helps us to be more of, in awe of God. And church camp is also one of those places where you can get away from the distractions, you can focus on God and on his word and on prayer. And when I was in college, I directed a winter snow camp at Cathedral Pines for the college age and high school age kids from First Baptist Church in Pocatello. And during that weekend at snow camp, a beautiful 16-year-old girl asked if she could draw my portrait. She asked this 22-year-old college guy, and she was 16, if she could do that. I said, okay. And for an hour or more, I looked directly into her beautiful eyes, and a year and a half later, we were married. <laughs> we didn't date till she had graduated from high school. She was 17 when she graduated from high school. Even to this day, I have uh, moms and dads that come to me and say, my daughter wants to get married, and she's only 18. Pastor, will you tell her she's not old enough? And I say, I'm not the person to talk to. <laughs> she's old enough to me. She's old enough to be married for 44 years now. <laughs> and so, but uh, years later, when I was pastor at First Baptist Church in Elko, Nevada, I had the privilege of serving on the Cathedral Pines Camp Board for several years. I served as camp pastor several times. And I had the wonderful privilege of designing the chapel at Cathedral Pines. So it's no surprise there's a handout in the bulletin this morning. This is the picture of the chapel, and we use logs for the walls, just, yeah, just like we do here. And we have these beautiful glue lamb beams, and they're arch beams, you know, and so they come to a peak at the top, and so they form the, the support as beams for the roof, and then they curve down, and then they become these columns, which support the massive weight of the building and the massive snow load. I remember we weren't supposed to at one snow camp up there. Uh, we could toboggan right off the dining hall roof <laughs> and down. You know, I was a camper at that time, so, you know. <laughs> but uh, but that, that was a big no-no. But the massive snow load, and so each end of each one of these columns has to support 35,000 pounds. Yeah, big wool. And it bears on that firm foundation. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, that gives us a little bit of idea of the importance of the support gifts of evangelists and pastors, teachers, as Jesus builds his church on the form foundation. The evangelists and pastor teachers carry a lot of load. You know, and one way I look about it, you know, that load, we must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, of course. Now, on a lighter note, literally, the windows behind the platform look out into God's creation. And it was my best attempt as an architect to design with nature 
and uplift the hearts of campers towards God. There was some discussion on the camp board. Well, the kids are going to get distracted. You know, if we put windows back there and I go, well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's kind of what I was looking for in the right way. So one time I was teaching in the chapel, and I could tell that the kids were distracted by something, and deer were walking back and forth across those windows. I didn't know it. You know, the kids, you know, they're going like this, and they're laughing, and they're giggling and stuff. And, you know, then they laid down in the grass and just, just laid there. So I knew the kids weren't going to hear what well, I realized what was going on. They weren't going on. They wouldn't hear another thing I said. So I then slowly and quietly move up to the windows. And so we could watch those deer laying there. What a great lesson of God's creation and nature. But Cathedral Pines wasn't my only significant church camp experience. I mentioned last week that when I was a young architect here in Emmon, I was a deacon and youth director at First Baptist Church here in town, Pastor Curtis Wieselmeyer, who was the pastor here at Grace Baptist Church at the time, took me under his spiritual wing. And one summer, he asked if I would be a counselor at Warm Lake Camp, where you guys all go, the Conservative Baptist Camp near Cascade. Kurt was directing the camp and teaching the Vesper time in the morning, Vesper time in the morning. I don't know if they still call it Vespers. They still call it Vespers? Yeah, times have changed. See, that shows how old I am, Vespers in the morning. But, uh, and then another pastor was teaching uh, the evening service in the evening. And the morning theme was the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm, on which Kurt taught through God's word, uh, God's word during the week expositionally. And then the evening time, the Good Shepherd in John chapter 10, the other pastor taught through John chapter 10. And I was just totally enthralled at how these men open up God's word to kids. And to me, of course, too. The two pastors made God's word come alive to third and fourth graders. And these kids came to really understand and experience what it means to lie down in green pastures, to be led beside still waters, to have their souls restored, to know that nothing can take them out of the good shepherd's hand. And I didn't know it at the time that God was preparing me to be an under-shepherd to the good shepherd, of Psalm 23 and John chapter 10. And I didn't realize at the time how much I'd use the example of these two other pastors as a model, a model for my own ministry as a camp pastor and, and for the expository preaching of God's word. And as I listened to them at the time, I kept thinking, I wish I could do that. I wish I could teach like that. Well, this morning we're going to continue to look at the support gifts, and this time it's the support gift of, of pastor-teacher. Those sturdy arched beams that support the rest of the building on which Jesus builds. So please turn once again to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. In the fourth chapter of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul lists the life four life-giving and life-sustaining support gifts. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as, and this should be pastor-teachers, pastor-teachers. Remember that grammatically this refers to one gift or one gifted person. One gifted person, the pastor teacher, or as many as refer to him today in church as the teaching pastor. You see that all the time. And why is the teaching pastor given to the church? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now there are several things I could say about the pastor teacher in his ministry for equipping or shaping up the saints for the work of service. 
And to do a, an in-depth study, we'd have to study all the pastoral epistles, the letters to Pastor Timothy and, and Titus, as much as much of the book of Acts and the rest of the epistles. You see, there's no one passage in Scripture in the New Testament that we can even begin to work through expositionally and even come close to understanding all that it means to be called to pastoral ministry and the, the, the gift of, of the pastor. So I want to keep confined to two basic points today and next week. One we'll look at this morning and one we'll look at next Sunday. And I'm going to be very candid about this, about the ministry of the teaching pastor. I'm going to be very candid and be very, very uh, uh, detailed of, of what it means and, and what the scripture says about it. Because for several reasons, one of them is that it is my hope that there might just be a young man here today, whether he knows it or not, that God might be preparing him already and preparing his heart in life for the specific calling of pastoral ministry. Or you might see God at work in somebody else's life, and you might be used of God to, to help encourage that person in that. And quite candidly, I don't think I'm the last pastor that will ever pastor this church, right? <laughs> There's going to come a time, this is not the kind of thing you announce on uh, Pastoral Appreciation Day, but there will be a time long way out there, long in the future, you know, where this church will form a search committee, and what we're going to be talking about today is going to give a lot of biblical foundation for, for how you call a pastor and, and who God is calling, and God is calling uh, to a church. So this morning we're going to look at the pastor-teacher's calling Next week, we'll look at the pastor-teacher's devotion, where he's to be devoted to the Word of God and prayer. And so we'll be talking about uh, prayer. And then the Sunday after next Sunday is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so we will be uplifting that in prayer and talking about that uh, the day after. Then we'll finally get to the devotion of the Word this, the Sunday after that. So today we'll see the pastor-teacher's calling. And he's called a pastor in Ephesians 4.11. You know, this is the only place in the Bible the word pastor occurs in most translations. The Greek word translated pastor is the word poimen, which means a shepherd. So it could be translated shepherd. And that word poimen we find 111 times in the Bible. Every place else in the Bible the word poimen is translated shepherd or the verb form to shepherd, to shepherd a flock. A pastor is a shepherd. And so the duty and responsibility of a pastor-teacher is that of shepherding the sheep. You are the sheep. I am the shepherd. I am a sheep too in this regard. But shepherding the flock of God. And so what does a shepherd do? There's two basic primary responsibilities. I'll be very brief about this part. A shepherd feeds the flock and a shepherd protects the flock. And if he doesn't do those two basic things, no matter what else he does, doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> and so the shepherd, teaching shepherd, has two basic responsibilities in his care for the flock. He nourishes the flock on God's word, and he protects the flock from predators. Now, in relation to what it means to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, and I've, I put this in the outline this morning, the shepherd's calling and duty is to feed and nourish the flock on God's word in order that he is able to nourish, or 
and nourish him start that over. I told you I get my words turned around. I can look right at it. The shepherd's calling and duty is to feed and nourish himself on God's word in order that he is able to nourish the flock with God's word so that they might be able to feed themselves and fulfill their own callings in the work of service in order that the body of Christ might be built up. So the calling of God and the pastor is unlike any of the other spiritual gifts. The call of God to vocational ministry. In vocational, I mean as a calling. That's what the word vocation means, to be called in, in the Latin. But vocational ministry, we think of that in terms of this is a person's primary career. This is what they're going to do. This is, this is their responsibility. It has several different dimensions. and we're, I'm, I'm going to start very basic here. Because first of all, there's several calls, and there is the call to salvation. The call to salvation. That must be the starting point for any call to serve in ministry. It's very basic, but yeah. The one who is seeking to identify his call to vocational ministry must first be sure he is called to Christ. It's basic but essential, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the, the test? You know, one of the things when, when you apply to, to, with the search committee to come and be a candidate for, for their pastor, one of the basic questions they'll ask, and rightfully so, tell us about uh, your conversion experience. Yeah, you know, how, how did you come to receive Christ? When did you receive Christ? I mean, it's just very, it's very basic. And second, the calling to salvation also entails a call to serve. God not only called each one of us to salvation, but he calls all of us for a life of service. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Service is every Christian's privilege and obligation, every Christian's. The, the calling to service means that we as Christians, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, are a royal priesthood. We are priests who serve God, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to him. Last week, I helped you understand that all of us are saints. Today, we understand, according to God's word, we're all priests. <laughs> we are all priests. We're a priesthood of all believers. And so you come to understand that you are a saint and you are a priest. And our privilege as a priest is to proclaim the excellencies of God who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous life, light. And all of us as believers should engage in the ministry of service as priests of God. In order to accomplish this, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And when the Holy Spirit came inside you, he came bearing gifts, as it were. And so the Holy Spirit has given to each one of us these spiritual abilities, these spiritual gifts that we can't do without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and it's the Holy Spirit doing it through us. For each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we have the call to, to salvation, the call to service. But beyond the call... But beyond this call of the Christians use their spiritual gifts as saints and priests, God extends a call to some to vocational ministry, to vocational ministry. The call to leadership in the church involves gifted men given to the church by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, the call to vocational ministry has two aspects. There's the inner call. There's the inner call. The inner call is the result of the continuing drawing or the eliciting power of the Holy Spirit to this, which in time brings an individual closer to the church's outward call in ministry. So there's both an inward call of the Holy Spirit and an outward call by the church. Now, Thomas Oden explained it this way. The external call is an act of the Christian community that by due process confirms the inward call. The external call is an act of the Christian community that by due process confirms the inward call. And then he adds, no one can fill the difficult role of pastor adequately who has not been called and commissioned by Christ and the church. Christ and the church. To put it simply, no one is called to, by, by, to vocational pastoral ministry who is not called by both Christ and the church. And we see a good example of this in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16. The 16th chapter of the book of Acts, the first verse. And, and Acts chapter 16 gives us a good idea how important the public recognition by the church is in confirming the call to leadership and ministry. Verse 1 of the 16th chapter of Acts. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Now we know this is the same Timothy that traveled with Paul on the missionary journeys, and Paul, or Timothy later, was the pastor of the, the church at Ephesus. Named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was, was Greek. Now notice that Timothy here is called a disciple of Jesus Christ. He had been called to salvation. He had responded to the call to serve. He was a servant of God. He was a disciple. He had already been serving Christ in the church. He had already been using the spiritual gifts, even though those aren't mentioned there, but we know he would have been doing this. Now we are not told how God was working in Timothy's heart to call him into ministry, but the church certainly saw it. The church saw it, verse 2, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Timothy had served these churches in the region. We don't know what the capacity was and what he was doing, but when Paul arrived in Derby and Lystra, he found that Timothy was well spoken of. And the result was, verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him. The confirmation of the church made Timothy a desirable asset to Paul's missionary team. And later, as Paul wrote to Timothy, he reminded him of this public confirmation by referring to the laying on the hands by the elders of the church. He wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, he said, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery or by the elders, the group of elders. Both Paul and the leadership of the church and the local committee or community had see, seen how God had blessed and used Timothy in local service among the churches. And they recognized this and they commissioned him by the laying on of hands to serve God in a ministry on a much broader scale with his giftedness. Now the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who preached in the late 19th century, agrees that public confirmation is a necessary step beyond the internal feeling, the internal call. 
that a man has concerning his call to ministry. And so Spurgeon wrote, The will of the Lord concerning pastors is made known through the prayerful judgment of his church. And then he puts it in a way Spurgeon always only could. It is needful of your vocation that your preaching be acceptable to the people of God. Isn't that wonderful basic? But it's really true, isn't it? In fact, the leadership of the church is constant, or is uh, cautioned about putting somebody in leadership and vocational pastoral ministry that is not ready, that is not qualified, that may not be called of God. And he cautioned Timothy to not ordain somebody or lay hands on somebody too hastily. Why not? He said, you will share in the responsibility of the sins of others. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? But on the good side, I want to give you several practical questions for a man seeking the ministry. This is something a man seeking the ministry can ask to know if God is calling him into ministry with this idea of the public confirmation. He can ask himself, do others recognize my gifts and leadership abilities? Do they ask me to serve in a leadership capacity? Am I asked to communicate the truths of God through teaching and preaching? Are there those who have suggested that I should consider the ministry? And those are just good, good questions if you're, if you're wondering about that. I remember when I was a young architect, Pastor Harry Granger would ask me to preach when he was going to be gone over at First Baptist Church. And I was really comfortable at this time with being a deacon and teaching the high school, Sunday school class, leading the youth group. And at the time, preaching was way out of my comfort zone. I'd even read books and done personal Bible studies on, on the importance of the laity of the ministry, the non-clergy. I was a die-in-the-wool layman. And I was looking forward to a lifetime of service as a layperson and, and, and those kind of things. And Jan and I served with a group called Macedonia Ministries at the time, which is also known as Lay Witness Missions. Where, where a team of lay people would go into a struggling church for a weekend, and we would lead small groups of men and women and teens and small groups for this weekend. We'd lead worship on Sunday morning as lay people. We'd share our testimonies, and the Holy Spirit would breathe life into this church. It was a wonderful ministry. And then I can show you in Rick Yon's book on the spiritual gifts, and I've mentioned his book in the past, where he talks about the gift of craftsmanship and artistry. And using a red flare pen in the book, I had circled the words artistic design, the spiritual gift of artistic design, and then right below that in the bottom margin, I wrote in big red letters, architectural style, praise God, architect. <laughs> I had found myself right there. That's what I was going to do. Now, I don't want you to get the idea that God called me into ministry kicking and screaming because he doesn't do any of that because, because he's also, the Holy Spirit is also giving the will and the desire at this time. And, but in his, and in his sovereignty, as I served him, he began to open up the outward call and confirmation as well as the inward call. And please don't think that I'm boasting about the ways I have served God before being called into ministry because I'm just illustrating what God has done and how he has worked in my life. For example, another who was, was Don Ellsbury. Many of you probably might remember Don Ellsbury. He owned Don's Market down here on, on Main Street and opened it up as Don's Market. 
And Don was a winsome, welcoming usher in the church. He was one of those great guys that it seems that God took him home way too early, way too soon. But after one particular Sunday that I'd filled the pulpit and preached for Pastor Harry on a Sunday morning, Don firmly grasped my hand. He looked into my eyes and he smiled and said, Bill, you missed your calling. At the time, I really didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I didn't agree with that, but it got me wondering and, and thinking and, and searching God's will. Because I understand today, and this shows how important it is to have that inward call as well, that if you go into ministry without a deep, deep inner conviction that God himself has called you, and God has gifted you through his Holy Spirit, that it's all of God, this is what God is doing, and God has set you apart for service in vocational ministry, if you don't have that, you're going to wash out. Sometimes the weight is too much to bear. Some days, you don't think that it's only you and the Holy Spirit to think this is a good idea. And there's going to be other days you think, I think it's the Holy Spirit's the only one that thinks this is, this is a good idea. <laughs> there will be days, and there are, for anybody in pastoral ministry, because of the weight, and it's not because we're not dependent upon the Holy Spirit, it's just because this is the, the way it is. There will be days you'll want to give it up completely had it not been for the call of God on your life. You have to have a firm conviction that this is God's calling on your life, and you are doing what he has called and gifted you to do. There will be days that the only thing you'll have to hold on to is Romans eleven twenty nine, where it says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. So not only do you need the confirmation of the church, the outward call, you need the confirmation of God, the inward call. And at least in my experience, God was working on both at the same time. So turn over to Acts chapter 13, the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch is sending out Barnabas and Saul as the first missionaries sent out by the church. And so first of all, we see a list of the gifted men at Antioch. Chapter 13, verse 1. There were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. You know, I always stop and think about that. Here was a man, a gifted man in the church at Antioch, who had been raised with Herod, one of the Herods. You know, what a marvelous thing that God called him. And then verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them, which I have called them. Notice who called them to this important work. It wasn't the church. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God. This is the call of God on their lives and ministry. And so verse 3, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I think of when Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. So we have aspiration and desire here, the inward call, but maybe we're not real comfortable with that word overseer. In some translations, it's translated bishop. So I have to do a little explaining here. 
In the New Testament, there are three words that are used as synonyms. They're used interchangeably. And I won't go into the Greek at this point, but one of those words is translated bishop or overseer. That's the word that Paul uses here, the office of an overseer. It simply refers to somebody who gives oversight to, to ministry. And another word is, is translated elder. Elder. Almost literally, elder means old bearded one. <laughs> you know, because elder, it, it's wisdom. It's, it's all these things that go along being a little older. And then the other word we talked about is poiman, pastor or shepherd. And biblically, in the New Testament, all three of these words refer to the same man, the same office, the same, the same ministry. They're used interchangeably. And a good example of this is when all three are used in the same two verses. If you'd like to turn to it, it's 1 Peter chapter 5. The fifth chapter of Peter's first letter. And he's giving admonition to the leadership of the church. Now watch this in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Paul is exhorting the elders as a fellow elder. And what does he exhort the elders to do? He says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God among you. And so there's the word that's translated pastor or shepherd. What do elders do? They are to shepherd the flock. Every elder of a church is also a pastor who shepherds the, the flock of God. And that, you know, that doesn't mean that every elder's ministry and pastor's ministry is the same and looks the same because every elder, pastor and elder, have a gift mix of several different gifts. Some will be more gifted in administration or leadership. Some will be more gifted as a teacher and become the teaching pastor. Some will have the gift of exhortation or the discerning of spirits. And they are gifted in discerning truth from error. But whether, whatever their gift mix is, all elders will have a shepherding uh, ministry as shepherds. And then he says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising what? Oversight. There's the verb form of the word overseer. The, you know, the bishop or the overseer. You know, a bishop is not somebody in a hierarchy of some church kind of structure that's telling other people what to do. That, that's not the biblical concept uh, of this. All three terms, pastor, elder, overseer, refer to the same man. So when Paul says to Timothy, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office, we could say a vocational pastoral ministry as an overseer, elder, pastor. It's a fine work he desires to do. We have two key words here, desires and aspires. Aspires. God gives a man a longing in his heart. He aspires to the ministry of elder and pastor. And the second word is desires. The word means to set one's heart upon something. The aspiration for the ministry is therefore an inward impulse given by the Holy Spirit that releases itself in outward desire. How do you know that this inward impulse is the call of God? We've already seen that one way it's confirmed by the church. And the other is this aspiration that comes from the heart, from the life, this desiring. And George M. George says this of it. The inner desire should be so single-minded that the aspiring leader cannot visualize himself as pursuing anything else except the ministry. Then he says, do not enter the ministry if you can help it. 
And he says, that's the wise advice of an old preacher for a young man when asked his judgment regarding pursuing ministry. If you can be happy outside the ministry, stay out. But if the solemn call has come, don't run. This is the restraining desire of primary ministerial qualification. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't be bivocational as, as a pastor. It doesn't mean because you love architecture or you love carpenter work or, or something like that, as so many bivocational pastors over the years. Paul was a tent maker, you know, and, and so, but where is the deepest desire of your heart? It's, it's the ministry. You know, and with our spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit does things through the pastor-teacher that, that he could never do himself. That's the nature of the gifts. And so all this, we need to be careful to say that in all things, we are completely and totally dependent upon God. You know, because we all have our fears. We all have our, our, our qualms about these kind of things, you know. And, and one of my greatest fears in going to seminary was that I would fail academically. Now, for those of you who know me now, you go, that was a really stupid thing to think, as smart as you are. <laughs> but but I, I, thought, I really believed I couldn't take the rigors uh, of what it would take, the training, the education, and those kind of things. My brother had been to seminary, and he had all these stories about how it really goes. You know, there, there are times in your education that you read the equivalent of a major article or a book per day. You know, and I really prayed, when I was in seminary, prayed for those guys who really struggled with, with reading and those kind of things. It's just, it's so, so much a part of it. And, and I really didn't think I could hack it, even as much as I, I loved to read. I thought maybe someday I'd take some, some seminary-level classes to help my lay ministry, my study of the scriptures and those kind of things. But the vocational ministry, no way. I just couldn't do that. But God was at work. God was at work. You know, I've talked about this before. I had my architect's office down on Main Street here in Emmett. I, I discovered Christian radio for the very first time. You know, in that time they had uh, KSPD and a couple others, you know, KBXL. Uh, what's 10, 1060? I can't think of the name of it. And the KBGN and those kind of things, you know. One of the neat things about architectural work, there's times where you have to concentrate and think, but when you're, when you're drafting and doing those kind of things, you know, you turn on the radio, listen to Christian radio, listen to the Christian music, you know, and, and listening to these things, I, I'd never heard this kind of stuff before, you know, other than once in a while, like with Curtis Wieselmeyer, my own pastor, Harry Granger, but, you know, it was new to me, and, and uh, I would listen to... to a program on the radio, whether it was the Haven Arrest and, and all, you know, some of those old, really good, neat ones, you know, that came on with the bells. Ahoy, shipmate. And everybody think that was stupid, but I wanted to hear what he had to say because <laughs> God was working. And one of the things, because I did love to read, and so they would mention a book or they would quote somebody, and I'd have to have that book. And so I was a book buyer, you know, and there was one summer when Jan said, sweetheart, you know, just buying way too many books, and, and we really can't afford that. And uh, I said, okay, I, I'm really going to cut back. Well, one day I found myself sitting in our custom van in the parking lot of the Christian bookstore over in Boise. I didn't go in, didn't go in. <laughs> but I was listening to Dr. Howard Hendricks. He did the program, 15-minute program on the art of family living at the time. And I'd like to listen to him. I was sitting, listening. I don't remember a single word he said. 
that day. But I do know what God impressed upon me. Go to seminary. It was just as clear as if God, Jesus was sitting right next to me, you know, in, in the captain's chair, <laughs> right next to me in the van. Go to seminary. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know how to explain that to Jan. I spent the whole ride home back to Emma thinking, what am I going to say? I, I was starting to, it was starting to hit me what this is going to be. It was going to mean closing down my architecture business. It was going to mean selling our house. It was going to mean getting ready most of our stuff and going to God knows where. Please don't let it be. You know, all these things are popping in my mind. That I really didn't want to go there and those kind of things. So how am I going to tell this to Jan? And, and I came into the house and I walked through the front door and stood there. Jan came out of the kitchen and stood away from me. She paused and looked at me. We're going to seminary, aren't we? Those are the first words out of her mouth. Because the Lord had been working in her heart as well. And we didn't know what to do with this. We got down on our knees on the old wood floor in the house we were living in. And, and Ben was uh, just over two years old. And, you know, so Jan and I got down on our knees. We held hands and reached out for Ben. And here's this two-year-old. Our knelt hand is just even with his standing hand. But he gets down on his knees. And he prays with us. And we prayed. And we still didn't know what to do with it. Well, the next day at lunch, every lunch hour, we would listen to John MacArthur come on at 12 o'clock and then uh, Chuck Swindoll come on at 12.30, just reverse of what it is on KBGN now. And so we, we had the radio on every lunch hour when I came home. And so at 12.30, you know, Ben was in the high chair and, and the radio was on and Chuck Swindoll came on with, with, uh, it was called New Standard for Living then, and then it was changed Insight for Living later. And he started out and he said, I usually don't talk about what you consider vocational Christian ministry. They said, I'm going to talk about it today. And so that got our attention. We turned the radio up, quit feeding Ben, hope he didn't starve to death, because <laughs> we, we were really listening. And the thing that he said that confirmed my call to ministry. He said, there are only two things eternal in this world. Everything else is going to burn up. And he said, the only two things that are eternal are people and the Word of God. People and the Word of God. And he asked, how are you spending your life investing in people and the Word of God, those eternal things? And there are many other ways that God confirmed it over the years. He's He's really good at that, but that was the, the initial confirmation of my inner call to, to ministry. And I trust that, that my experience and what, what, how God has shown me that, you know, if there's somebody that uh, you know that you start to begin to see some of these same gifts for, for ministry, or, or uh, maybe somebody here today that will go, well, no way, Jose. <laughs> but uh, God will begin working in your heart. And it's a, it's a marvelous thing, as he does with all of our spiritual gifts. How many of us have found out that, wow, you know, God gave me a gift of, of mercy. You know, I have compassion for people, and I, and I want to serve them. I want to help them. And, you know, for many years, I just thought that that was just the way I am. Maybe I'm too emotional or, or something or, or feel t things too deeply, but then you begin to realize that 
God's been at work in your life all along. And this is what he has called you to do. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you that number one in your call, you have called us to salvation. Father, what a marvelous, glorious thing that you would call us to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, that we might receive the forgiveness of our sins. And Father, I thank you, you've called each one of us to serve, that you give us true significance, Father, to be involved in the eternal plan of the ages, Father, to serve one another, to serve you, to witness and bring, be used of you to bring people to salvation. And Father, I thank you for the, the way you have gifted this church, Grace Baptist Church, with a multitude of spiritual gifts and callings in that regard, Father. And Father, I just thank you for, again, for the, the love that is in this church, for the fellowship that we have, Father, and just give you thanks and praise that we are privileged to serve and minister and love in this body. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name.